him. He wasn't feeling too good. And the doctor comes in, puts his hand on his shoulder, says, Sir, he says, I've got some really bad news for you. He says, you're dying, and you don't know how much time. The guy looks at him and says, well, how much time do I have? He goes, well, you've got 10 left. He goes, 10? What, what, 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months? The doctor replies, nine. <laughs> okay, now some of you, just put that in your pocket, okay? Save it for later, because it's going to come out, okay? All right? Okay. All right. Time. Not much time, right? It seems like life is a vapor. And it's true. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time to fear. We don't have much time to work. Lord calls us to fear not, right? Fear not. Choose the greater. Choose the greater. Choose love. Love overcomes fear. Perfect love casts out fear. The Spirit of God is not a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? Good stuff. The Lord is good. He does not put fear into us. He puts love. So this morning, we're going to be looking at two individuals. And we're going to see what they choose. It's a familiar story. Most of you would be really familiar with it. You hear it around Christmas time. Oh, by the way, do you know it's... Christmas is tomorrow. What? Yeah, just wait. It'll be tomorrow. It's going to come like that, right? Quick. Things come quickly. Again, that time thing. It's fast, and the older you get, what happens? It goes quicker. And you're like, wait a minute. How how is this working, you know? We've got so little time, but much to do for the kingdom. God has much for us. So let's not choose fear. Let's choose love. Let's take a look at a couple folks here that choose love. Thomas Merton, maybe some of you are familiar, he's quoted on being a servant of God with Warren Wiersbe. He says, To consider persons and events and situations only in light of their effect upon myself is to live on the doorstep of hell. Listen to that. To consider persons and events and situations, consider everything around me only in light of their effect on me, is to live on the doorstep of hell. That close. That close. And as a Christian, if we are living in that way, Well, we are the center of the universe, and everything that we see, everything that we take in, we just take in, and how does it affect me? We're going to live a very frustrating, fruitless Christian life. But the two folks that we see this morning, they didn't live a a fruitless Christian life. They led a glorious life. 
One we hear a little bit about. The other we hear much about and we continue to hear much about. We're in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 26. Luke chapter 1. So here we have this time, the New Covenant time, the New Testament time. We have prophecies, prophecies of foretelling in the future, 400, 700 years ago, Malachi, Isaiah. They're prophesying some folks are going to come. One, John the Baptist. This, this forerunner of the Messiah. In the spirit and the power of Elijah is going to come and proclaim. He's going to make the path straight. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Then we have Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, not the Son of Man. So we have all, hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries prior, foretelling in the future, foretelling in the future of what's going to happen. And here we have, it's like Luke is awesome because he takes the births of both John and Jesus, and he gets down to it, and he gives us the most history of all of this, all, the most background, the most details. And we go from Malachi 400 plus years ago, and we just, it's like we step right over that intertestament period, that quiet time, and boom, God's right back at it. Right back at it. Malachi chapter 4, the last, the, 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 the last verses is foretelling, and boom, here we are. Bam. God has something to say. He has something to do. His purposes, His purposes will not be thwarted. They will not be restrained. They will come to pass in all of our lives. So, verse 26, verse 56. The birth of Jesus foretold. The birth of Jesus foretold. Let's pray over our scriptures. Pray for, over our time that the Lord would be all about the Lord. Amen? Lord, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for illuminating our minds, opening us up to your scriptures through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for showing us the way. Showing us the true way, Jesus. Showing us everything we need to know. Nothing more, nothing less. You are perfect. Your word is perfect. Your time is perfect. You are perfect, Lord. Watch over our time. We pray that you are honored and glorified in everything that we do this morning, in the scriptures, Lord, and what is spoken. You, Lord. It's all you. We want it to be you, not us. We don't want to live on the doorstep of hell, Lord. We want to consider others more than ourselves. Help us with that. God, help us. We need that help. Show us the way, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. Amen. All right. So, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. This, 
This is speaking to somebody who has a special honor put on them. A special honor put on them. The Lord is with you. The ruler of the universe is with you. But she was greatly troubled. She was having a hard time to understand at the saying. And she tried to discern. She was thinking, considering what was going on. What what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, you have found grace, goodwill, loving kindness with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We see that we see that Mary, she was troubled. But she wasn't fearful. She wasn't dread or terror of what was being told her. She just didn't quite get it. Unlike Zechariah, who was visited by Gabriel, his fear was a dread. It was a terror. Not Mary. Not Mary. She was thinking through this. She was being thoughtful in this. Trying to take it all in. We see that in verse 31 through 33, we see that this, this speaks of what was prophesied. And you, in note takers, you can go Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6-7. through 7. These are prophecies of Jesus. Okay? And they speak to his humanity. They speak to his deity. And they speak to his dominion. They speak to his humanity, deity, and dominion. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This overshadowing is something supernatural. It's beyond the ordinary. It is not ordinary. It is absolutely supernatural. Something only God can do. Go to uh, Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. So, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Verse 34. This is interesting. When we talk about God overshadowing Mary, overcoming Mary, supernatural, beyond the ordinary. This is when they finished the tabernacle. And God dwelt in the tabernacle in verse 34, Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered, overwhelmed the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Picture we get, the glory of the Lord filled, overshadowed, overcame, has everything to do with what was going on. His presence permeated everything. His presence permeated Mary. The Holy Spirit permeated Mary. He overcame her. It was something of supernatural Work, God, the supernatural worker, 
creator. I love going back to that, Exodus chapter 40. It speaks of God's majesty and His glory, His Shekinah glory, that you can't, even, you, can't even, you can't even be in front of it. That's how great it is. So back in Luke chapter 1, verse 36. Luke chapter 1, verse 36. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, is in her old age also, conceived with a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. There is a lot going on in chapter 1 with Elizabeth and Mary and all sort setting the stage for the Messiah. Setting the stage for the Messiah. Nothing is impossible with God. What he said is coming true. What he said will come true. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We have so much to look forward to, just like they did back then. They had so much to look forward to. Let's put our hope and faith in God's work. Not just what he's done, not what he's doing right now, but also what he's going to do. We, are a, we, have a, we have the opportunity to be a hopeful people, not a hopeless people, a hopeful people. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, so this is the time when, when the Lord, the Lord God spoke to Abraham, said, you're going to have a son. <laughs> oh, shit, no. I'm way too old for that. By the way, men, we're never going to be too old. If God has something for us to do that's within our ability to do it, and we open ourselves and make ourselves available, he's going to use you. He's going to use me. He's going to use us. We're never too old. Never too old to fulfill his purposes in our life. No, no. That's not going to happen, chuckle, 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 right? Then, then it's told to, to Sarah, huh, chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. I'm too old. That's not going to happen. Women, never too old. Not to say they're kids, okay? If God has a, a purpose and a will in your life to fulfill, and you have the ability to do it, and you make yourself available to do it, You're not too old. Not too old. So, here he is, and he, uh, the Lord says to Abraham, says, is there nothing, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. The Lord is speaking directly to Abraham. There's nothing too hard for the Lord, for me. Why would you even question it? Why? In Job 42, 1 through 6, you can note that down, Job 42, 1 through 6. Job says, no purpose of God can be thwarted or restrained. He comes to a point that he knows nothing. And he's been foolish to think that he can question God or knows God or knows what God thinks. 
and he's humbled. And he comes to this place to realize no purpose of God can be thwarted or restrained. If he's got a purpose in your life, if he's got something that needs to get done, that he desires to get done, you make yourself available to that, he's going to get it done. He's going to get it done. His purposes will not be thwarted or restrained. So Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Humility. See, Mary was choosing something greater than herself. She was choosing something greater than the circumstance. She was choosing something greater than the fear. She was choosing love. She was choosing love. And how did that love manifest itself? In humility. She's choosing humility. Perplexed, not quite understanding at all, but giving herself over in faith and in love to the Lord in humility. She's choosing humility. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard of the greeting of Mary, the baby, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed, eulogized are you among women. You are spoken well of. Blessed are you among women. And blessed, favored is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted? Now listen, this is, this, this is where it's at right here. She says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, Messiah, the mother of my Messiah, should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb, John, he leapt for joy. And blessed or happy is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She believed it. She didn't understand it all the way. She couldn't grasp it. She was perplexed. But she believed it. She believed it. And she humbled herself. She gave herself over to this. She didn't question it. Beautiful. Beautiful. By the way, when, when a woman got pregnant back in the day, a lot of times she would, uh, uh, she would go off to a relative, okay, and, and she would spend some time with a relative away from the house and she would concentrate on her baby, okay, and she, she would speak things into the baby. She would speak scripture and, and songs and, and God would often give a woman things to sing about or, or, or a song of praise, okay? A song of praise. And they would, they would sing it over and over and over to the baby. You know, when, when you're pregnant and, and you want to speak, you, the sound of your voice, the baby gets to know the sound of the voice, and, you know, you can play different types of music or, 
you know, I know of Laura, she, she, she would play like um, soft music or even um, uh, 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 classical type music and, and that type of thing. But I remember getting down there and, you know, and speaking to the kids, you know, right? And it was such a joy. But you knew they're hearing me. They're getting my tone. They're, they're, they're connecting, right? They're connecting. So there was this time that they would, they would go off. And, and so as Mary visits Elizabeth, this very well could be that time. Okay, that time. So as we go into verse 46, this is that song of praise of Mary. Now, Hannah, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, just note takers, Hannah does the same thing. She has a song of praise with Samuel. So in verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, what does that mean? That means every part of her being, the deepest part of her being, my feelings, my desires, my aversions of things I don't like, but the things I do like, everything, my affections, everything that I am, every fiber of me is exalting the Lord. I'm magnifying Him in my life. Why? Because He's a great God and He's got great things. And He's promised me something that I can't even grasp. But you know what? I'm putting my faith, my trust, my belief in Him. I'm magnifying Him. Just because I don't understand everything doesn't mean I can't magnify Him. Matter of fact, it gives me more desire to magnify Him. Every soul of my being, every part of my person. She says in verse 47, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, this only true God my Savior. Verse 48, For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. This humble estate speaks to unworthiness. This humility, I am unworthy of this. How could he choose me? I am unworthy. She's seeing God for who he is. And she's seeing herself for for who she is. Some of you are familiar with Andrew Murray. He wrote a book called Humility. He says, in their spiritual history, people may have had times of great humbling and brokenness. Specific times. We all can maybe key in on that. Oh, yeah, man, I was broken. Man. I, I, I got hammered. And I was, I was down, you know. Mm. But he says, but what a different thing it is from being clothed with humility. We can think of times of being humbled. But he says it's very different from being clothed with humility. You're carrying it. You're wearing it. He says, and it's very different from having a humble spirit. How different this is from having that lowliness of mind in which each counts himself the servant of others and so shows forth the very mind that was also in Jesus Christ. Servant of others, and so shows forth the very mind that was also in Jesus Christ. Mary is expressing, she is 
She is showing Christ before he's born. She is expressing Christ before he's even born. Murray goes on and says, Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Let's look at these circumstances. Let's look at these things around us, not in ourselves. Let's not focus in on ourselves, but we need to focus on others. We need to focus on those around us. And as Mary's choosing love, choosing humility, Murray says the power of a perfect love forgets itself and finds its blessedness in blessing others, in bearing with, honoring with them. He says the power of this love is given where the spirit of love is poured out in the heart, where the divine nature comes to a full birth, and where Christ, the meek and lowly Lamb of God, is truly formed within. Where the love enters, God enters. And where God has entered in his power and reveals himself as all, man becomes nothing. And where man becomes nothing before God, he can't be anything but humble towards his fellow man. It's not a choice. She's choosing love. Are we going to choose love? Are we going to choose God? Love. God is love. Are we choosing that love to penetrate, permeate, and reside in, our, in ourselves, in our very being? The presence of God becomes not a thing of times and seasons, but the covering under which the soul always dwells. Its deep humility before God becomes the holy place of his presence from which all its words and works proceed from love, from God's unfailing love. William Barclay says, Pride, pride is the ground in which all other sins grow, and the perfect parent, I'm sorry, sins grow in the the parent from which all other sins come. It's It's the garden. Pride is the garden from which sin comes. That's the ground that sin comes out of. That's what's cultivated in the garden of pride, is sin. Mary's not choosing that. She's choosing love. She's choosing humility. Back in verse 48, it says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed or fortunate. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, who who have a, a reverent respect for him from generation to generation. Verse 51, he has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, Abraham, to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Humble, mercy, servant, humility. You can note Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 7. This shows our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in full humility and as a servant. He also, you know, he says, 
he, he also says, a servant is not greater than his master. I've given you the example, follow. Follow me and do what I've done. Humility, servanthood. So, we have another person we want to look at here. See, we see Mary choosing love, choosing humility, right? It's beautiful. Let's look at the other part of the the picture here. Let's look at Joseph. We'll go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. It says, uh, verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, an upright, a virtuous man, a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, Resolved to divorce her quietly. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is before the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to him. He's choosing something. He's choosing something before even the angel of the Lord comes to him. He's choosing love. And how is that love being manifested? What does it look like? It looks like mercy. Joseph is choosing mercy over judgment. He had every right. He had every right to give her over. And she could very well be stoned. He didn't choose that. See, he chose love. He chose God. He chose Jesus Christ. He chose mercy. How awesome is that? Mercy triumphs over judgment. May we be a people, may we be a church of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't see anywhere in the Beatitudes where he said, blessed are the judges. Blessed are those who enact the punishment. Uh Uh-uh. See, Joseph, Joseph, just out of his, his relationship with the Lord and what the Lord was doing in him, he's choosing mercy. This, this favor, this loving kindness sparing her from what would be due her in that society. This is beautiful. God bringing these two people together. And look at their heart. Look at their their thoughts. Look at what they're pouring out. Awesome. So verse 20. We're still in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And look at this. 
But as he, Joseph, considered these things, he's thinking, he's considering, he's pondering. What did Mary do? Did she react and run away in fear? No, what did she do? She was thinking through these things. She was thoughtful. She was pondering. It's really hard to think through things when you're afraid or scared, right? When you've got terror in you and your heart's pumping like this and you can't think straight, it's really hard to ponder and give serious thought to things. When you're in fear, when you're afraid, when you're scared, He's considering these things. He's thinking. He's pondering these things. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He wasn't saying, do not be afraid of me being here. Don't don't be afraid to take her as your wife. There's something much greater, much bigger than you. There's there's, There's things, life is so much grander and bigger than ourselves. And when you're younger, younger, some younger folks over here and some scattered about here, When you're younger, you tend to believe, tend to think that the universe revolves around moi. And everything that's going on is what, how is it, how is it, how does that affect me? That's a natural thing as a younger person. That's a natural thing. We grow up as babies. Everything's about us, right? Everything. You know, we grow up and we're just doted on. Everything's about us. Everything's about us. Especially if you're an only child for a while. Man, woof. Everything's about that child. Until, well, somebody else comes along and interrupts that. Wait a minute, the universe isn't just revolving around me. There's somebody else too. Right? No. Things are much bigger much bigger than ourselves. God has a purpose, has a plan. But look at, look, at, look at what's going on here. These two individuals that were nobody, nobody. They were Nazareth? Come on, really? You know? They were just nothing. But look what God saw in them. Choosing love, choosing humility, choosing mercy, thinking through, being thoughtful in their Christianity, being thoughtful in their, well, at that time, in their Judaism, being thoughtful in their relationship with the Lord. In our Christianity, may we be a people who are thoughtful. May may as we grow older, as we mature, we mature to think through things and not always to react. Right? I mean, you get all, and you react, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I should, you know, shouldn't have, shouldn't have, shouldn't have. 
can I take it back? No, not really. You can apologize, you can be forgiven, but it's out there. We all make mistakes, and we will all react to things at times, but God working in us, fruit, the outpouring, the the byproduct of that relationship in, in us is a thoughtfulness, a thoughtfulness. So let's go back to uh, Luke, chapter 1. A thoughtfulness, meditative, thinking through things, pondering things. You know, there's a seriousness to thought. Of course, we want to have good times, we want to have fun, we want to obviously, you know, have lightheartedness in life and so forth, of course. But get, get this, thoughtfulness. There's an attentiveness. There's a... It it speaks to being especially considerate of others. Especially kind. Thoughtfulness. Mary, thinking through these things, being thoughtful. Joseph, thinking through these things, being thoughtful. Considering others, especially. Joseph, choosing mercy. And what? Being kind. Being kind towards Mary. He loved Mary. Being kind towards Mary. Thoughtfulness keeps us out of a lot of problems. Thinking through things. Thinking beyond just what's staring us right in the face in the here and now. It's so easy to get caught up just in the physical just in what's, what is right in front of us. It's so easy to get caught up in that. It's so easy to react to that and not think through things. Think on the other side of that decision. What's going to happen? What's going to be the result? What's going to be the effect? What's happening? You know, we see... Only right here. There's a whole other realm, right? There's a whole other spiritual realm. And we always think of this spiritual realm afar off. Afar off. When, when we leave this body, we're to be present with Jesus Christ. Amen? And how fast does that happen? Twinkling of an eye. Right? I can't even step that fast. I can't even get to that door that fast, right? God is not afar off. He's right here. It's just that we, in these eyes, we don't see that spiritual realm. We see this physical realm. But as quick as you could step, is as quick as you could blink your eye, There He is. He's not afar off. He's right here. Does He not live in us? He is right here. Knocking on the door. How far is that door? Well, it's it's right here. He is here. See, seeing, being thoughtful... Beyond 
what's right here in front of us, beyond the circumstance. Mary chose something beyond the circumstance. Joseph chose something beyond the circumstance. Thoughtfulness. They were thoughtful. Thoughtful. You know, um, <laughs> you'd be surprised if you sat down and made a list and you just took a half an hour, an hour, and you just thought about it. How many decisions you make on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, or whatever, okay, about how many decisions are based on fear? Fear of not getting this. Fear of this happening. Fear of that. Fear of... I drive 65 or the speed limit or five miles over the speed limit because I don't want to get a ticket. I'm fearful of getting a ticket. You don't necessarily do it because you think it's right. There's something to fear. How many things, if you really think about it, that you make and decide in life, little things and big things based on fear? Wow. That's sobering, man. You just take a few minutes and think about that. How many things we decide based on fear? And folks, as you get older, that can creep in a bit more, huh? It's a scary thing. It can be. That's a real thing. But God is greater than the fear. Amen? He is greater than that. His love is greater than that. Perfect love casts out all fear. So fear. Hmm. Okay, the top ten. The top ten. See which ones you, uh, you can identify with, okay? All right. Number ten, fear of getting old. Okay, yeah. Okay, number nine, and I don't really, this doesn't really bother me, fear of being poisoned. I don't know, yeah, okay, all right. Um, <laughs> if you were a king back in the day, yeah, I mean, you know. Um, okay, number eight, fear of being a coward. Hmm. Now, the Spirit of God is not one of, of cowardice or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Okay, number seven, well, germophobia. I mean, he likes germs, right? Okay. Fear of bacteria, microorganisms, there's two school of thought, right? Okay, you raise your kids, there's one thing, it's, oh, we're going to make sure we've got all the hand sanitizer and the wipes and this and that, or those, that kid's going to be like squeaky clean, you know? I mean, we bath, you know, once a day at least, okay? And then there's the other school of thought, oh, let them go out and get muddy and da-da-da and eat dirt and all that, who cares? They're going to, they'll build up an immunity. It'll be good, you know? So you got the... You got two schools of thought on that. Germophobia. Yep. Or I don't know if you have a bunch of bars of soap in your in your medicine cabinet or in your cabinet underneath the sink. You can only use the bar of soap one time. That's pretty bad. You know. Gotta go on to a clean bar of soap. Well, wait a minute, isn't it clean all the way through? You know? Okay, fear of going crazy, number six. I don't know. Some of you maybe kind of Close? I don't know. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah, some of you might get a little crazy up on the hill this summer. You might have a little fear of going crazy. Number five. Oh, this is a biggie in our society. 
Fear of intimacy. Mm. Fear of commitment. Getting close. Putting yourself out there. Because you want to be hurt. Not worth it. Number four. This, I think, hits on a lot of people. Okay, Spiders. Rats, cockroaches, snakes. All right, who likes snakes? Who's okay with snakes? Okay, all right, so again, that's just a couple of you. All right, so everybody else is like, okay, hands off. All right. Um, airplanes? Well, monsters, of course, you know. I mean, everybody's got one in their closet, right? You know? A, re- a reality in, in life, it's a little scary. Demons. Demons. Um, okay, fear of mirrors. I've never even heard of that. I just figured everybody loved to get in front of the mirror. Ooh, yeah. You know, ooh, yeah, looking good, you know. Okay. Mirrors on. High heels. I hate high heels because every time I wear high heels, I fall. So, yes, I've got a fear of, of high heels, okay? You know, and I break Laura's shoes all the time. So, all right. Okay, so the uh, number three, social phobia. Oh, that's fear of public speaking. I'm done now. Okay. So some people just have a fear of that. Yeah. Um, oh, the agoraphobia, fear of open spaces. That's kind of weird. I would, you know, get closed in. I definitely wouldn't want to spend much time in a coffin if I'm not dead. That would be hard for me. Okay. But out in the open spaces, I'm pretty good with that. Okay, number two, fear of death. Wow, fear of death. We don't have to fear death, do we? Uh-uh. Well, number one, number one, a reality in life and in this world we live in Loneliness. Loneliness. Fear of loneliness, of being alone. That's real. Intimacy. Fear of intimacy. Fear of being alone. Isn't that weird? Fear of intimacy. I don't want to get close to somebody, but I'm fear of being alone. Kind of strange. But fears. Fears. We don't have to fear. We could be thoughtful in our Christianity. We can be thoughtful in our life. We can choose love. We can choose life. Let's not choose fear. Let's choose the greater. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's choose the greater. Let's choose love. Amen? Let's be a merciful people. Let's be a loving people. Jesus said, the way the world's going to know that you are my disciples is that you love one another. How crazy is that? How different is that? That's what he's saying. It's so different from the world, they're going to know that you're my disciple. Because you're loving one another. Whoa! (laughs) Really? Yeah, really. 
Let's think through these things. Let's be thoughtful in our Christianity, in our love, our choosing love. John Piper, there's a book called Think. I'm going to leave you with this. We cannot love God without knowing God. We cannot love God without knowing God. Not knowing of Him, but knowing Him. And the way we know God is by the Spirit-enabled use of our minds. Thoughtful. Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. He says, whoever has seen me, he said, has seen the Father. This means that knowing and loving Jesus is the test of knowing and loving God. Knowing and loving Jesus Christ is the test of knowing and loving God. Let's love Jesus today. Let's love others today. Let's choose humility and mercy. And let's step out as that servant of God. Loving on people. Loving on each other. Watching over each other. Taking care of each other. Amen? All right. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us because as you first loved us, Lord, you show us the way we can love you. We can get to know you. Not just know of you, but get to know you intimately, Lord. We can put our trust, our faith, our belief, everything that we are into you. We can give it over to you. We can lay ourselves at rest at your feet, Lord. Thank you. Give us... Give us mercy. Give us hearts of mercy. Give us us hearts of humility to know that you're infinite, Lord. That you are self-existent. That you are all in all. And that we are but just a humble servant. You have purposes and you have wills for our life. Move us onto your agenda. Move us into your will to fulfill your purposes, Lord. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the time to be able to get in your word, Lord. I pray that you've been honored and glorified today and that we would step out of here, Lord, and you would continue to be honored and glorified in our lives. Love on your people, Lord, and help us to love each other and to love others and beyond. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, the Savior of the world. Amen.